0: Yet the night went to the little land Do you see what I see We up in the sky little
1: Merry Christmas, everybody. We trust you're doing well. Hope you're having an absolutely fantastic day. Welcome to Theology in the Dirt. My name is Mitchell Jolly, and you are, sir? Chris Hayes. Awesome, man. We're glad that you guys like to listen to Theology in the Dirt. You engage with us. We appreciate your... Patronage, we appreciate questions, we appreciate the opportunity to engage with you at church and around town, and we're very grateful. We come to you from Global Impact Restoration Rome, where we like to say in Theology in the Dirt, we like to put our faith to practice in the public square of our homes, our city, and our world. And here at Restoration Rome, Global Impact, that's exactly what we strive to do in addressing the foster and adoptive care crisis in Northwest Georgia, the state of Georgia in the United States, for America, and around the world. And so we're glad to come to you and talk about theological issues, and we have been having an awful lot of fun discussing some Christmas stuff over the past few episodes. I've had a good
2: time doing it. it's been fun. Merry Christmas, bro.
1: Yeah, Merry Christmas to you, man. This is uh, pretty fun,
2: huh? It's a fun time.
1: It is a fun time, and I think that's why there's always this hurry about getting to Christmas, because it's just a time. It's truly a time of joy, and that's that's fun. Joy is fun.
2: Yeah, it's hard to... I know people deal with different things at this time and it's not yeah. joyful time for everybody and so I think it's just trying to find that joy regardless but it's hard to not think about the Christmas story yeah and Jesus coming and even all the the quote unquote secular aspects of Christmas just right. bring joy and it's it's a fun time.
1: It is a fun time, absolutely. And and, and even yeah, e- even among um the political world and in the news world people start to calm down about Christmas time even the rhetoric seems to get less sometimes that's hard to do
2: and it it's hard to do but that, that's a blessing there's joy in that too yeah, that's right <laughs> when that's people right. you that like hearing themselves talk stop talking it's a good thing for all of us
1: that's right well Chris before we get to the main topic for the day it's time for some news let's do it All right, Chris, I know you have a little bit uh, better news than I have because yours is going to be a much more uh, joyful excursion. Uh, Mine, um, I popped up this morning and looked on the the front page of a uh, national news website, and this uh, article, Catholic church bishops are afraid to offer powerful Democrats, um, afraid to offend powerful Democrats, uh, defrocked priest Frank Pavone says. And so what's interesting Um, is that um, people, uh, priests inside the Catholic Church who lean in a conservative manner, theologically and politically, um, have found themselves uh, receiving reprisal from those who lean in the opposite direction. And so they found themselves in this funky position of uh, being afraid to offend particularly Democrats. Uh, outspoken Catholic priest and political activist Frank P- Pavone, the National Director of the Inf- uh, Influential Pro-Life Ministry Priest for Life. Um, he's been dismissed um, from the clerical state by the Catholic Church um, for his positions, and uh, that's, uh, that's very interesting. Uh, Frank Pavone organized um, and has an organization that's headquartered in Titusville, Florida, and said that some of the bishops of the church don't want to offend powerful Democrats and members of Congress, which is why they purposefully soften their pro-life message. And uh, that um, that is the exact reason that as good Southern Baptists, we believe in the separation of church and state. That doesn't mean that um, the church doesn't influence the state, and, and that the state we don't obey the rules of the state. Separation of church and state means that the state doesn't run the church, church doesn't run the state. Yeah. That, that has proven really bad historically. Um, and so what we believe in is we should speak prophetically to the state, and the state should protect the freedoms of the church and freedoms of everybody. But we should speak to the, the state when the state particularly gets out of line and violates the commands of God's Word. And so when the state begins to have influence over our policy— And dictate our conscience that is a meshing of church and state that in my opinion is evil and so when catholic um priests find themselves afraid to speak to pro-life issues because of reprisal coming politically that's a that's a very negative thing and so that's not a very merry ho 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 christmas that's a very uh go to jail uh at some point in time in history um that's Belschnickel finding. Your your year to be impish. impish. <laughs> that's right. So that's my yeah. news. And so uh, watch out, watch out, watch yeah. out for the state.
2: Man, that just makes me mad. <laughs> it's like <laughs> right. Uh, the gospel is offensive, and so if we're seeking right. to not offend others, especially politicians, yeah, uh, that's just that's, that's hard to recover from because there's you're just opening up a precedent that's going to just continue to get worse. Yeah. And a hole that gets deeper, right? At some point,
1: we're gonna have to talk, do a pro-life episode where we talk about uh, why pro-life and um, why um, pro-life, or as the other side calls it, anti-abortion and uh, pro-gun can. So pro-life and pro-gun can work together because that that's often the one of the first rocks that gets thrown at pro-life people who happen to be maybe Second Amendment advocates. Oh, how can you advocate for a deadly weapon? Um, and not advocate for abortion, and the uh, uh, ideological, logical, falla- fallacious uh, presuppositions fueling that, that argument are almost cherry picking. It's almost uh, laughable. However, that's one of the first arguments that gets thrown, and it's good for Christians to be able to address that. So we may have that's to true. come come back and and do that in the new year. But it's Christmas time, and so I digress from my sad news. To a great list,
2: yeah, and I don't care if I offend you at all. Just be honest with you, because this is I'm gonna go through my top ten Christmas movies list, and some of y'all ain't gonna be happy, and it's gonna be okay, you know, because we can agree to disagree. Um,
1: Man, I've been seeing funny tweets by people like their favorite Christmas movie, and they're being funny, and it's not even like it doesn't even have a Christmas party in it. It's not like it's Die Hard. Oh know? yeah, it's it's, it's like um, Patriots. My favorite Christmas movie, <laughs> right? No, that's funny. Yeah.
2: Um, uh, Die Hard didn't make my list cuz it is a Christmas movie. So, you'll be okay.
1: <laughs> so, I guess a hot dogs a sandwich too, right? It can be. It can be. Yeah.
2: Here's my here's my thing real quick on Die Hard and then I'll get to my list. Right. If you think Die Hard's not a Christmas movie, then you also have to say Home Alone is not a Christmas movie cuz Die Hard is Home Alone for adults with killing. This is true. And so that's a good point. Um and, and there's really no argument about Home Alone being a Christmas movie. Hmm. I've never heard anyone say it's not a Christmas movie. That's so that, a good point. That, that's my thing. That's, wow. That's my argument for that when people try to tell me Die Hard's not. So
1: Bruce man. Willis is Kevin. Yes. What's his name? Not Bruce I mean, Bruce Willis is oh, – what's his John name? McLean? Yeah, John McClane is Kevin. Holy cow. That's good.
2: That's good. So let's get into it real quick. It. Let me start with some honorable mentions here before we get to our top ten. Yeah. Um, I think this one's underrated, but Jingle All The Way. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sinbad. I think it, it's yeah. just funny. It's charming. It is. Um, an underrated Christmas comedy, Four Christmases, Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon. Yes. And there's a great, hilarious church scene in that one, too. That's a great movie. So watch that one. I agree. Um, Family Man, um, that's a pretty underrated one. Nicolas Cage. Um, it kind of the uh, whole uh, It's a Wonderful Life kind of remake.
1: Okay. Haven't seen that. That's Family a pretty good, Man. Okay. Family
2: Man's good. Uh, Christmas with the Cranks. It's got Tim Allen. That's a pretty (laughs) funny one. Yes. And a a Muppet's Christmas Carol. That's just kind of a classic. It's a. It is. uh, It kind of transcends time. So, but let me jump into my list real quick. So, before we get to our topic, starting at number 10, this is a fairly newer one, but the night before, it's got Seth Rogen and it's got, uh, what's his name? The guy that plays um, Falcon. um, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. MCU. Yeah. Um, Really? The night before? Okay. And, um, Joseph Gordon it. Okay, and they're kind of nice. like I won't go through it, but that's a, it's a, that's it's not a family one. <laughs> that's <laughs> one that, w- watch that one after the kids go to bed, but yeah, it's pretty hilarious. Okay. Um, and number nine, I've got Charlie Brown Christmas. Yeah, it's a short one, but man, it's just there's something about Charlie Brown. There's a spiritual tone to it. Yes, and, but its simplicity helps just bring me back. Yeah, and so that's a good one. Uh, number eight, I've got Polar Express, which I wasn't a huge fan of it when it came out, but as I I enjoy it more now than I think I did back when it came out. Tom Hanks and Paul Hanks, right? Yeah. Okay. Really good quality. Very different type of animated one, but gotcha. And number seven, I've got the original, the Santa Claus, Tim Allen. Yes. You know, don't like all the other ones. Although I will say the Disney plus show that just came out is actually pretty, pretty good. Okay. Got him in it. Okay. Um,
1: haven't it, seen that one, but the original Santa Claus is amazing.
2: Yeah, that's just a great movie. Yeah. Um, number six, and this is my only like old, older one I've gotten here, but it's a wonderful life. Just how to throw. I think I've only maybe seen that once or twice in my life, but it's just a good, well made yeah. movie. Absolutely. Uh, number five, and I went with a series on a couple of these. So I put How the Grinch Stole Christmas. <laughs> I, I think all three are fantastic. Jim Carrey was my favorite, probably then the original cartoon, and then the newer cartoon is good too. But I just. I love all things Grinch. It was hard not to put it higher, but I love the <laughs> Grinch. The mean one, yeah, Mr. Grinch. Number four, we got National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation oh, because yes. that's just—it's just, it's just <laughs> solid. It's <A> solid gold.
1: <laughs> yes, it is. Clark W. Griswold's meltdown. I've experienced that um, one year we're putting some stuff together for the boys. They were little in bed it was midnight, and the leg on our table broke. Um, it's an old table. And here it is now at midnight thirty, and I'm repairing a table rather than getting things ready for the next morning. And I had my Clark W. Griswold meltdown, and it was epic. It was awesome. Jennifer's laughing at me, and I'm I'm like, yeah,
2: true story. This these people uh, for their Christmas decorations were decorating the house and had kind of like lights on the roof, kind of like a two story build, a two story house, and then like the lights were coming down, and they had made this man hanging from the ceiling <laughs> and like it was like animatronic almost. It was like kind of moving like the legs gosh. were shaking. It was so realistic that neighbors called the police and the fire department and the police came out. Amazing. And <laughs> they of awesome. it. And it was just, you know, like a dummy oh hanging from the roof. So, kudos to that those people yeah. like that's that's pretty incredible i think they had to take it down or adjust it a little bit so they'd scare the neighbors but
1: <laughs> we think somebody was really alive right and that's amazing
2: um at number three i've got home alone and i including one and two here because i i think two is probably actually a little bit better than one in really? a lot of ways um my daughter we watched home alone one the first time last year but we watched both already and so she got to see two and she okay. just Loves. It. She loves. Okay. She loves Harry and Marv, especially Marv. Like she thinks. <laughs> like every time he screams. Yeah. Um, so I, Home Alone it's just hard to beat. Yeah. As completely unrealistic and believable as it is that it would happen twice, right. much or once, much less twice. Right. Um, I got you. It, I've not seen two. Uh, not it, seen. You need to yeah. watch. Yeah. Anything okay. after two, I don't. I don't condone as a real movie.
1: <laughs> you're not gonna put your name on those, but two, no. one and two. One and red. two are just okay. well done. I got you.
2: Um funny story about 2 in order to use the Trump Towers the hotel uh, Donald Trump agreed to let for the movie to use it as long as he could be in the movie so he makes a cameo in that second one that's awesome real short one the where Kevin's asking him where the elevator is or something like that and so awesome yeah, <laughs> and much younger um that's fun less polarizing yes Donald Trump and number 2 we've got John McClane and Die Hard and if you want to include Die Hard 2 that's fine because it's Christmas time as well, but Die sure. Hard one legit is a, you know, Nakatomi Plaza, yeah. Reginald Johnson, who yeah, you know, Carl Winslow as the cop, who <laughs> yeah. verified this week on TikTok that it definitely is a Christmas he movie. Verified that it's a Christmas movie. Bruce Willis so doesn't what, think so, but
1: yeah, Bruce Willis is unique.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. come and on, Bruce. Just, yeah, just just because he just said that be better, man. Bruce. <laughs> and at number one, I got Elf. I just I think oh. Elf is the perfect Christmas movie. Yes. I think every bit of whether you like Welfare or not, I think Elf is just a masterpiece at a Christmas movie.
1: We, we watched that last night. The the Jocelyn girls and the Jolly Boys. We we uh we haven't seen it in a while and we watched it last night. I, I laughed the whole way through. That movie is absolutely hilarious. It's so good. Yeah, it is. I want some fruit spray.
2: <laughs> Smiling's my favorite. It's, <laughs> There's just so many quotable lines, and a lot of it's it made up too. Yeah. I mean, a lot right. of it's just improvised.
1: Right? You gonna sing me a song? Go ahead and sing me a song. I love
2: you, Daddy. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Daddy. <laughs> that movie. Yeah, that sorry. movie's gold. That's a good list. What's man. a Christmas gram? <laughs> What's a cool? I want one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Careful, the other ones don't stop.
1: Oh my god! So good. We could it, do
2: that for a while. So
1: absolutely, we it's can
2: cool. move on to something more important. But I, I just wanted to go with my list. <laughs> This week. No, that's gold. You can send all your hate mail yeah. at, to theology in the Dirt at gmail.com. Send us your list. We'd be happy to look that over.
1: Or with the, the cold weather coming in, hole up and watch some of those movies. Yeah. That would be awesome. I think that's I'm going to do that. I'm
2: trying to get through my list the next few days when it's going to be cold. I got nowhere else to go. Yeah, man. It's time to start some. shutting
1: it down. Yeah. Everybody's, you know, we're going to be in the house. It's going to be zero degrees. We got, we got church Sunday morning. And other than that, man. And family stuff. Come on, sit down and watch some movies, baby. Yeah. I like it. Man, you ready to get after it?
2: Rock and roll. Ladies and
1: gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? It's
0: time for the final countdown. The show starts in 10. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, let's rock.
1: Well, in light of Christmas, uh, we are going to talk about today, our last Christmas episode, Shepherds and Wise Men.
2: The forgotten characters of the Christmas story.
1: Absolutely, the forgotten characters of the Christmas story, and and absolutely, a, Jesus is the central figure in Christmas. Let's not miss that. Uh, I, I, Mary, the wise men, shepherds, Joseph, these these characters that surround it. These guys are core to to why God came uh, to fulfill His promise in Genesis three fifteen. Well. Core God's purpose is that God be glorified in all the earth, that His fame be restored to its full uh, full glory, um, His name throughout all the earth, and and His work with and love for the lowly. Um, and 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 there's just so much here with Mary, with Joseph, but particularly the particularly these shepherds and these wise men that point us to some beautiful realities. And so we want to talk about shepherds. And we'll talk about wise men. Now we got a lot of stuff today, and I'm going to try to be as brief as I can because Chris, Chris has got some really good stuff, and we got some takeaways we want to share with you. But as you as you focus on the narrative of Christmas, one of the things I would encourage you to do um, is somewhere Christmas Eve night, uh, Christmas Day, grab your Bible, grab your Bible app on your phone, and read these stories: the shepherds in Luke chapter two, verse eight to twenty-one. Just read all of Luke two. Lead read Luke One and two. you're not going to go wrong by by right. reading all of it and and for the wise men, scroll to Matthew chapter two and read the birth narrative and Matthew's Gospel about the wise men um but first i'll I'll jump into the shepherds. When you go to Luke's narrative in Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 21, uh, Luke starts out by saying, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, I can't hear that first line without seeing some scene from a Christmas play I've been to at some point, right? <laughs> right. And and little teenage boys or middle school boys with their bath, with bathrobes on and, and their, their shepherd costumes on, which just warms my heart. That's yeah. just awesome. And, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, "'Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger.' And suddenly there was an angel. There was the angel with the multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, "'Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased.'" And when the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. What a great story. But here we are at this moment in time. And and here's, here's I'm going to give you some of my, my uh, an observation. If you want to pop back and forth on some of yeah. your stuff and where it overlaps, that's fine. Um, this strikes me here uh, as you read the narrative here. Um, one of the things you find out in Luke, um, you find it out in, in the birth narratives, is the great nephew of Julius Caesar, uh, his name is Octavian, uh, had just been named the new Caesar. We know him by the name of Augustus. Mm-hmm. Augustus is the name given him by the Roman Senate as a way to confer godlike status on him. Augustus was one of the first Caesars to demand worship. Um, Augustus Called for the census of his Roman world um, so that he could know how many people he ruled over. Um, and as a result of this census, this, this gets me emotional. Here's a Caesar um, who doesn't fear God, who believes himself to be a God. Right. Calls for a census. And it's this census that causes Mary and Joseph to go back to the hometown where is the place they have to be counted at. Mm -hmm. And it's that decree for that census that causes them to go back home where Jesus will be born. And what's crazy about that is Bethlehem is the place that the Lord said through the prophets to the people waiting, this is where the Messiah will be born. So God used an unbelieving king and his godlike complex to move history so that his chosen servants, Joseph and Mary, would be in their hometown at just the right time, just the right place. If you don't think God cares about his people, down to the minute details, that story should give you great hope. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's this narrative, this story, that God chooses to reveal to some shepherds in a field doing their very difficult, tough job. This amazing event, God spoke it first to some shepherds. Wow.
2: Yeah, I, I'm going to get into that in a minute. I've got kind of my I've got five reasons why the Lord chose the shepherds to be the first to witness this. But I think it's important. Like, so we, who are these shepherds? Right. Right. Um, I mean, these are they're not educated. Like, these aren't you know highly educated people. They're not the smartest. They're not the richest. They don't have these great social skills because most of the time they're spending their time around animals and maybe around other uneducated yeah. shepherds. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't spend a lot of time around. Normal people, and I'm putting air quotes with that you can't see because you know you're not watching us. But um, like, right. I mean, they weren't just around people all the time. They were dirty, smelly, basically lived outside of town, always, always working. You know, this isn't a job that you you know clock in nine to five and you know go back to your home in the city and hang out. You know, they're spending all this time. And it's also important to note they had no power or influence. Right at a time where that was extremely important. Very much so. They're probably the first century cowboys
1: they're hardened grizzled tough able to take life to protect take lives of wild animals take lives of people these are hardened grizzled tough men who live an outside life
2: and these are men that aren't scared easily cuz i mean these are they're fighting off every kind of lion and yep. wolves and all kinds of stuff and so i always thought it was really important to note in this Luke story and i think the bible does a good job but this all throughout the history, whenever an angel or whenever the Lord or whenever Jesus appears to somebody, it almost always starts with, you know, don't be afraid because they were afraid. Like, yeah, I mean, they, these guys have seen a lot of things, right? But they were afraid as they should be, right? Um, to show that kind of just the awe of an angel mm. appearing to them. So I always thought that was a neat way of saying that before they come and tell them, first they reassure them and help them calm down and say, you know, don't be afraid. We're here mm. um, for a good reason. Absolutely. And That's so, solid. not only are these shepherds like, "Oh my goodness, there's a, this glowing being here right. in the middle of nowhere," at, at, you know, during I'm not expecting to see anything. Right. Trying to keep my sheep safe, maybe they've probably th- thought the angel was a threat to their sheep. Sure, um, but not only that. Now it's we get into the wait. You want us to do what? Right. Wait, and it's I, I imagine, and I get, obviously this is not in the scripture, so do a little speculating. But I imagine there's a lot of why us. Like, why, why yeah. me? And so, uh, I, tell, I, I go, this kind of transitions into, so I've got my five reasons. Yeah. Here's five reasons why I think the Lord chose shepherds to be the first to witness this miracle. Uh, number one, it's foreshadowing of the fact that Jesus would become our great shepherd. Uh, just as shepherds are brave and strong, while also meek and humble, Jesus shepherds us, and he would leave behind the herd to go chase after just one who would be lost, just as a shepherd would. Uh, the Israelites uh, furthermore, here have a history of being shepherds, um, dating back to the earliest patriarchs of Abraham and Moses. Uh, Job had 14,000 sheep. I mean, we, there's this long lineage and history of shepherds. Uh, and more importantly, this one guy named David, <laughs> yes. who the line of Jesus comes from, right? Yeah. H- who was born in the city of David, was a shepherd who would become a king, um, started out in humility, and would rise to royalty. And I think all that's just a good foreshadowing of the fact that Jesus too would come to earth in humility and who would rise to be our King. Mm,
1: That's good. And, and, and I think, and and here's my, I have one big observation. It's a, and it's a massive theological observation and and all these shepherds, I'm convinced it's because God refers to himself. And and this, this here's my, let me just say it the way I wrote it by revealing, This holy moment to shepherds, God tells us something about himself, and and what he tells us is what he's already said in his word. In Genesis 48, 15, 49, 24, and then Jeremiah 31, 10, God refers to himself as Israel's shepherd. Mm -hmm. Um, Psalm 23, David's psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. And so David's shepherding is really modeled on the Lord who he knew so well. And so David shepherded sheep and he led Israel the way he knew the Lord because the Lord was his shepherd. Ezekiel 22, Jeremiah 10, Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah 50 warned God's people about bad shepherds and, and bad shepherds who had misused God's people as contrasted against God, who is a good shepherd. Jesus in John 10 calls himself the good shepherd. Mm-hmm and and god calls leaders in his church shepherds that's uh that says something yeah and so for for god to pick these grizzled men who love sheep they love the task they love the work and it's hard work to reveal to them first i think says something about who he is that these are men who carry my heart for my people. The way they do this job is the way I care for my people. And, and man, that, that in and of itself is, is a, that's a series of what is it to be a good shepherd?
2: Right. Yeah. I think you look back to, I always looked at when Moses leads the Lord's people out of Egypt, he's basically shepherding this huge flock. I mean, he's trying to keep them safe. They make dumb decisions at times, you know, they're about themselves and he, has to keep them together so that they can get to the promised land. That's right. And, um, you know, kind of foreshadowing to that now, right. Jesus is our good shepherd. And sometimes we try to run away. Sometimes we might be running off a cliff if he doesn't save us. Mm. We're easily eaten by wolves. If we're, if he doesn't protect us. Yeah, Um, that's right. So there's a lot of that through there. Um, Number two, just as shepherds left the comfort of their homes to go out and live among their sheep in their element, mm. Jesus too left his home in heaven to come and live among us as one of us. Mm. Uh, shepherds lay aside the rights and the dignity that go along with their human identity to live among the sheep. And as God, Jesus had the right to continue to enjoy the, the benefits merited by his uh, his identity in heaven. But he laid aside those rights to go along with his divine identity to live among us. Mm. Another parallel there of why I think he chose the shepherd. Absolutely, that's beautiful, man.
1: Yeah, there's so much happening in the presuppositions of the text, right? That 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 you have if if you just read over the birth narratives without thinking through some of these parallels, you're going to miss these beautiful truths about God Mm -hmm. that speak to us in in other places of the scriptures, and right here you have a concentrated narrative telling us something about the nature of Jesus. It's Beautiful.
2: Yeah. One of my favorite parts of the whole Christmas story together is there's this clash and coexistence of meek, quiet, humble, mm. and loud, bright, you know, light, bright lights, loud singing and worshiping of the angels and how they exist mm. at the same time. Mm. And I, I, that's part has always just, I'm reminded of that every year of because yeah. Number one, he didn't have to come to earth. He could yeah. have, like, he's God. He could have saved us from there. He could have just pointed his finger and been like, boom, saved. Right. But he chose to come here. And he right. could have come as this, you know, pillar of fire in the middle of the day in this in the heart of the city. Right. But he
1: didn't. Right. Which shows us, too, his, his love for physical creation, physical creatures mm-hmm. and physical creation that his intent to save us isn't just a spiritual enlightenment; it is a full-bodied experience mm. of internal transformation and external glory. Yeah, like it wasn't just these shepherds; like they learned something. Oh, I now have knowledge. It's they worshipped. They they physically left their task for a bit to go and and see this. Yeah. Like, so there was an internal reality that led to a physical thing, which shows us God's love for all of his creation, all of it, and that all of it is being redeemed. That's, that. I mean, the, the shepherds, I mean, that's stuff we can glean from the fact that he physically manifested this to people.
2: Side note here before I get to number three, I think, too, like, so the text doesn't give us this part, but there's no way the shepherds would have just left their flock in the field Without so either yeah, either the Lord through the beauty. angel either either angels yeah. kept watch over their flocks for them, or they allowed mm. for an easy transition with the, their flock to go here. Yeah, and I don't know which one. I don't know how that worked, but I can't imagine they were just like, "Oh sure, I'm just gonna leave my my like this like right. they couldn't come back to not having sheep." Right. So
1: you do your imagination wants to go. Did <laughs> these angels go? We've got them. Yeah, we've we were created by Him, we we've seen, we know. You don't. We've got your sheep. I mean, I mean that gives me goosebumps. So like, What if that happened? That's pretty cool, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, because they did. They left their sheep. Did they have assistance that came, or did the angels do it, or or did God just supernaturally make sure the sheep stayed in place? I don't know, but somehow the sheep stayed in place,
2: and somehow they felt comfortable enough to go do this without yeah. questioning that. I'm going to go with the angels watched over the sheep. That's cool. That's like babysitting. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. That's just a side note that just hit me. But I'm like, you yeah. know, I wonder. Those, those are kind of those fun things that we don't know about. We don't have to know about. But I'm just curious how that. One day out. we're
1: going to get to ask. How did this play out, man? Right. That'd be awesome.
2: Uh Number three, shepherds are among the most reliable people at this time. They could be counted on to spread the story. Mm. Uh, they weren't tied down to any particular place or job aside from their flock, so they are essentially fluid. And could easily travel to Bethlehem and would continue moving after seeing Jesus spreading the good news of his birth. And plus they were used to they were used to following stars to get directions of where to go and, wh- and what direction they were going. So they were reliable in the sense that the Lord knew they could be trusted with this message to, to be obedient, to follow through. Mm. And he also could trust them to navigate where they needed to go. Mm. Man, that's good. Uh, number four, this would set the tone for the life and ministry of Jesus. While he wasn't a shepherd vocationally, he was a humble carpenter and came to serve and help and heal just as shepherds do over their flock. Mm. And lastly, our number five, shepherds were humble, honest men who would both be amazed by what they saw. And while they were often looked down upon, the Lord knew they would share the message honestly and humbly without any desire to be heard or seen or to become famous, or make money off of it, or get any recognition from this, because I mean, he could have called the most, the best orators of the time. Like he could have brought in these people who would, you know, be influential. Like we right. think of like social media influencers today. Like, oh, let me get the person with the most followers and the most friends to make sure this message gets out. Mm-hmm. But no, he chose the ones who would do it humbly, authentically, because they were authentically genuinely amazed by what they had seen and would want to go share this mm. message. And the they were the first, basically they were the first disciples and evangelists in a way, if you think yeah. about it. They were the first people to see and tell of Jesus.
1: Yeah. that See, that is that is that's absolutely beautiful because the text even tells us, you know, they were um, they were absolutely in awe at what they saw. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So mm-hmm. so, so there, there are people hearing what they're saying. It's not just Mary hearing. Mary treasures these stories up and hides them in her heart, but they're telling this story, which, which makes sense, right? Because we're reading it in a narrative compiled
0: mm-hmm.
1: by Luke. And, and what's great is when you read, uh, when you actually read Luke's introduction, Luke chapter one, Luke tells Theopolis, "I've I've taken pains to write for you an orderly account of everything, yeah, so that you can know you have certainty with what happened." And this is Luke's narrative. So, so somewhere I, did 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 Luke talk to one of the shepherds? Did Luke talk to one of the shepherds' wives or children who were still alive? How old were these guys when they were when this happened? Were they younger? Were they older? Were they still living when this narrative was written? Because they had to be minimum probably in their 50s or 60s by the time, maybe, yeah. th- that that Luke is writing this. Maybe even dead by that time. It depends on your timing of Luke's writing. But Luke has gone and researched, and he's asked questions, and he's interviewed people to compile this narrative, which means they were telling people. Yeah. They, th- this was so transformative. This is not just something you you kept to yourselves. They it says they everybody they told, and Mary heard their story. So they're the first witnesses, the first evangelists. How cool is that, man?
2: Right. Well, just like when the disciples went to tell. About Jesus later on, after you know, after he had risen from the dead, was right. not a safe thing. Right. This wasn't a safe time to be doing that either, because we talked about the Caesar, yeah. talked about King Herod at the time, and what, and, yeah. and we'll get into him a little bit with the wise men. But like, this wasn't a safe time to be going around saying there's another king. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like
1: so yeah, you're taking a, a risk here to, to 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 be able to say there there is this baby born to be a king. Yeah, and angels announced his birth, right? Not some senate, but heavenly beings. That's just absolutely massive. It is. Man, that's gold.
2: My last quick little note on the shepherds here that I've got, um, and I think this is just cool to note in this Luke 2 passage, the first thing the angels did, so the angels were sent, You know, they were obedient, obviously, and they were sent to come tell the shepherds. The first thing they do after telling the shepherds about Jesus' birth was worship. Mm. Then, as soon as the shepherds had gone around telling others about what they had seen, they returned home, and the first thing that they did was worship. Wow. I mean, there's, there's a there's, a, just, yeah, a thing here that, yeah, we see him, we yeah. tell others, and then we worship.
1: Yeah, that worship is, uh, worship is one of the things when, when God chooses to reveal these places in Scripture, and the the veil is peeled back, and, um, and we get a glimpse at that that portion of the created world. There's always some manner of worship, yeah, like a proclamation directed to the triune God, whether it's holy, 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 or the bowing or the casting of crowns before the feet of him who sits on the throne. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Ezekiel Ezekiel 1, these incredibly um, fearful beings that causes him to fall down <laughs> and worship. Like he falls down like a dead man, like he's overcome by these beings. So worship is constant. And God invites us into it periodically mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And, I mean, there's a whole theology of worship there that, mm-hmm. that not only do we get invited into that periodically, God calls us to make it the, the bend of our life. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, and this is your worship. So there is this continual sense in which my physical existence and the way I live it out is worship. And then I get invited to go and double down on that in yeah. seasons where I get to sing and we pray for the manifest, powerful presence of God in those moments. That's that's holy. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's I love good. it. Well, wise men. Wise men. Matthew chapter two, verse one to twelve. Um what's fun about this narrative and and that um contrasts with a, a lot of our nativity scenes, and nothing wrong with the nativity scene, it's perfectly fine but when jesus was born the wise men were not there. Right. So as you read through this narrative, it's after jesus was born in bethlehem, Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 to 12 in the days of Herod the king, wise men from the east came to jerusalem saying, "Where is he who has been born king of the jews? We saw a star rise and we've come to worship him." And so Herod's troubled mm-hmm. and he goes and ascertains, he's trying to figure out when did this happen. So he visits some of the some of the religious leaders and um and, and he, he learns from the scriptures that he is to be born in Bethlehem and so he summoned the wise men and, and starts trying to, to ask them some questions and, and the timing and and so the Lord warns them in a dream, don't don't go back to Herod. So yeah. they, they go another way and then Herod puts together his death squads and he goes and, and the timing is two years old and under, all the boys. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's Herod's murder squads that go kill all the two year old boys and down because somewhere in their visit, there's a two year window there. And so I, these wise men, one of my first thoughts when I, th- I think through this is the commitment to see this through, whatever they saw, whatever they knew and whatever they understood. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. These cats were intent on seeing it through. They had to lay their eyes on this one. Yeah. Um, and, and they didn't travel from Silver Creek to downtown Rome. They traveled from Iran down into the Fertile Crescent to Bethlehem, and that—that's a hoss. They didn't jump on a plane, didn't ride a bus. They walked. Mm-hmm. And so, um, wise men. Who are the wise men?
2: Uh, sorry, I'm reminded just reminded of an old joke that I got to tell because this one is: What do wise men and firemen ha- have in common? What? They both came from afar. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, uh, I heard that's like an old dad kid joke, that's but awesome. that uh, just hit me all that's of a sudden awesome. how to share that. And,
1: and I'm not sure you get that unless you're from the South. It came from afar. Right. right? Afar a or far. a fire. A fire. A yeah, far. Get afar. Yeah, <laughs> afar.
2: Anyway, sorry. Afar. We do it all here on Theology in the Dirt. Um, that's good comedy, man. That's good. <laughs> yeah, so the wise men, um, also called magi, um, also called kings at times, basically they were considered to be, kind of like priests or spiritual advisors. They followed and studied signs, magic, astrology, and stars. Uh, So it actually makes sense that King Herod would call upon them, send them because they studied stars. And if they're having to go follow and find a star, these would be your guys to go after. You know, it'd be like, you know, you'd be calling NASA to, you know, you're like NASA leadership here, basically, um, for what they do. Uh, The Bible never tells us how many there were, although we kind of see, we know it's plural, um, most scholars have seen everything between two and twelve. Um, I think we've kind of landed on three because there's three gifts, and we'll talk about the significance of the gifts in a little bit. But uh, we don't know how many there actually were, but more than one was sent. Um, and like you said, the nativity scenes. And I've got one in my house that has the wise men there. I think it's kind of to keep them part of the story, even though they weren't there. Absolutely, uh, the Bible doesn't tell us how many, how much time has passed. We think it's under that two years, though, like a year and a half to two years somewhere in that. Range is kind of what most people seem to agree on. Um, Bible says um, young child doesn't refer to him as a baby. Mm-hmm. So, um, so and it's unknown why they had such a belief in this young baby being a king. Like there's not a lot of history there other than the fact that we assume these guys were scholars. So they probably have read the prophecies, read the scriptures of old, the Old Testament. Have uh, they at least had some knowledge of this coming king? Yeah, they weren't. This wasn't like a, oh, a, a what? A king, maybe, you know. Right. Uh, even though Herod, I think, tries to manipulate them like, oh, I want to come worship him, too. No, right. you don't.
1: <laughs> well, it, it's not a stretch. Uh, Daniel 2, 2, um, you know, uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, Hebrew young men. Uh, Daniel rises to the rank of, of counselor to the king. Um Daniel 2-2 calls these men who he brings in, the king brings in, to try to tell him what's going on, calls them wise men. Same language used in the New Testament. Of course, Daniel rises to this point of influence. It's not beyond—it's a little deeper than speculation that the potential exists that these magi, these these wise men, were descendants of people who were taught by Daniel— mm. And possibly already had a fear of God. There was already a, a a fear of Yahweh in in their theological bank on their theological shelf somewhere. So that as this thing became known to them through their study of the texts, because chances are Daniel Daniel's influence he's in he's introduced the Old Testament scriptures. Yeah, those descendants know those Old Testament scriptures now. Whether they were full blown followers of the Lord or whether or not he was one of the gods on their theological shelf, we don't know. But what we do know is they studied ancient texts, they read the skies, the times, they were considered wise men, and they they fell at some point because of where they come from under the influence of Daniel's ministry. Mm -hmm. So it's not beyond the pale that these men were acquainted with the Hebrew Scriptures and were looking, so as they looked and they studied, they knew this is the one.
2: And and that's clear that the, because of the fact they are willing to travel a long, long way right, and to bring him very expensive gifts. yeah. So not only is it – they're also kind of risking their lives here to travel this far yeah. while also carrying things of major value. So I want to get to the gifts real quick if we can. Do it. And then we'll come back uh, with um, some more info on the wise men before we get to our um, takeaway. So what is the significance of the three gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Uh, first off, these are very expensive gifts. Uh, they were fit for a king, uh, that, and they were traditionally imported from kind of the Arabian Peninsula or Africa. Uh, these wise men wanted to bring these gifts as the best offerings from their homeland. So they represent their homeland. They wanted to bring the best of the best, even though we'll get into why these were some of these were a bit odd for gifts. Now, gold, obviously, is not an odd gift. Gold represents royalty. It honors the fact that Jesus was king, would rule over all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frankincense was an expensive fragrance or perfume made from trees in India and Arabia. And they were often burned as a sacrifice to God, which was likely a reference to Jesus who himself would give himself up as a sacrifice. Uh, Frankincense also represents his divinity. Mm. Myrrh. And this is the really odd one here out of the three. Myrrh was a perfume spice made from rare thorn bushes in Arabia and Ethiopia, mostly used in the embalming process, you know, after death um, it symbolizes bitterness and suffering, which likely represents the suffering and death of Jesus. So we got gold represents royalty, frankincense represents his divinity, the myrrh represents his humanity. Mm. Um, this element was given to Jesus here at the beginning of his life as well as the end of the, his life when he was hanging on the cross, Mark fifteen twenty three, and then was being buried in the tomb in John nineteen thirty nine. Mm. Also mentioned a myrrh, so we see myrrh mentioned at, at his. At his birth or as a young child. Yeah. We see it at his death on the cross and through his resurrection. So just an interesting note about myrrh. That's pretty awesome. Um, The fact that there was three gifts could also signify the Trinity, father, son, and the Holy Spirit being three in one. So there's three gifts for one in a sense. Mm. Uh, And it's also important to note here that these magi were not just giving gifts that are a bit odd for a baby, especially myrrh, but these represented their culture. And they were costly, so it was a sacrificial gift not being used to purchase anything or gain something from it. It was simply, we want to bring the best of what we have to offer from our land to this king. Mm-hmm. And so basically this was an act of worship for yeah. these magi. Um, John Piper explains it like this, and I'm like, the, uh, the gifts are intensifiers of desire for Christ himself in much the same way that fasting is. When you give a gift to Christ like this, it's a way of saying, the joy that I pursue is, is not the hope of getting rich with things from you. I have not come to you for your things, but for yourself. And this desire, I now intensify and demonstrate by giving up things in the hope of enjoying you more, not things. By giving to you what you do not need and what I might enjoy, I am saying more earnestly and more authentically, you are my treasure, not these things. Wow. I, just, I think it's a great way to, to look at it. They weren't trying to exchange this for, it wasn't like, hey, Remember us, Jesus. You know, tell people about us. This was, you know, I'm showing you that you are much more valuable than these things are to me. Yeah. These are valuable to me. You
1: don't need them. Yeah, but I'm giving them as sacrifice because you're worthy. That's right. good, Lord. That's, that's just rich. <laughs>
2: wow. Um, so a couple more notes here on wise men. Uh, number one, these wise men were, were vigilant. We mentioned they traveled a long way. It wasn't safe or easy. They traveled with expensive gifts, and being advisors to the king, they themselves were valuable and important themselves. Mm. Um, but yet they chose to pursue this journey for one purpose, uh, to worship the king. Mm. And I think lastly on the wise men, this is my last note on them, their significance in what happens after the wise men leave Jesus, uh, and you, you hit on this earlier, they were ordered by Herod to return immediately after finding Jesus to tell him where Jesus was so that Herod could come and quote, unquote, worship him. Murder him is what he meant. <laughs> right, uh, Herod was not, you know, excited about having to share, right, kingship, and we know the Caesar wasn't either. Right, um, but instead, they obeyed the angel's warning not to return. Mm. Otherwise, not only would Herod have killed Jesus then and there, most likely, he would also have known the location of the birth of Jesus. And the truth is, there's still a mystery today about exactly where Jesus was born, and I think that's intentional. Right, But if these wise men had told Herod, it would have become really big news. Everyone would have known where he was, where he was born. Um, Mm. And so I I think to keep that mystery, it was important that these wise men not return. Because, again, outside of the shepherds and the angels, these are the only men that kind of knew where he was Mm. and where he was living. And so the the fact that the, the Lord would speak to them and warn
1: them in a dream uh, to not go back that way is is absolutely rich um, that God is even overseeing the protection of this vulnerable family and the protection of at this point the physically vulnerable eternal son of God by sending them back another way again it it screams to me, God cares about the details of of our lives mm-hmm. that's that 's precious man i mean that, that that instills confidence that builds my faith. Yeah, that he gave them that word and they obeyed and 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 again, this is being recorded for us. So did he? Did Matthew get a chance to speak to these guys? Did they come back again at some point? Like I don't know. What? I don't know. But what if they did? Yeah.
2: Well, to bring it back full circle to your to talking about Daniel, like I think it's important that these guys knew who knew the stories, knew who Jesus was. Yeah. Otherwise, why would why would they not return back? Why would right. they risk their lives in running from their riches, their popularity, their fame as at their job under Herod? Right. Why would they not return and tell him unless they knew the significance, understood the importance of right. and, why, and so even dating back to then it's possible that the Lord gave that to Daniel to share that through those yeah. generations so that these specific wise men would yeah. know its the significance and would obey when told not to return.
1: That's absolutely glorious. That's absolutely glorious. And and the same God who did that is the same God who rules over us today. Yeah. That's beautiful. I, I think one of the things I it's on the twenty first on theology dot com. If you go there, the advent devotion on December twenty first first goes a little deeper into Herod's slaughter of the innocents. Um and so I actually have a, a YouTube video of, of uh one of my heroes of the faith reading the poem he wrote called The Innkeeper. Um, And so I would just encourage everybody to go check that out, theologyinthedirt.com. It's the December 21st Advent Devotion. It's a quick, some words about um, uh, the possibility of the Lord before he um, goes to the cross. Um, What if he took a stroll through his birth city and found an all-in keeper who paid a high price that night Mm -hmm. because he was the slaughter squads were sent for Jesus. And, and what if this old innkeeper lost his children yeah. because of Jesus? And it's emotional because it's, I don't do poetry because I can't make sense of it. <laughs> but when Piper writes poetry, it lands for me. He's the only person that does poetry that lands on my soul. And I can't read his poetry without weeping. And the innkeeper makes me weep. Um, and, and it's, uh, and the Lord promises to make it right. And we don't know. It's speculative. Sure. And, uh, but, uh, but what if the Lord decided to stroll through and visit old Jacob and let him know I'm the one that that you paid the price for and I'm going to make it right. Mm-hmm. And so um, these good. magi came, um, and and all of this happened around them, and and all of this work for God to make it right. So let's uh, let's close with uh, some takeaways. Uh, I'll do mine, then you can do yours. Perfect. And then we'll be done. Here are my takeaways. Number one. God revealed himself to the lowly in culture, not the prominent. That's a theme all through the Bible. Um, it's the the poor who are rich in faith, James says. It's um, For whatever reason, the curse of sin has so perverted the world um, that the least gets trampled on. Uh, and God sets that right somehow. Um, that's not to say that the prominent, aren't saved they are they anyone who trusts in the lord jesus will be saved and 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 comes to equal comes to christ with equal status with everybody else who comes to jesus there's no high there's no low there's just we belong to jesus Mm. but god has a heart for the least and um he chose to reveal himself to the lowly in culture um and and he did that with with the shepherds he chose mary and joseph under adverse circumstances. Number two, God revealed himself to those who were seeking truth. Uh, these wise men, these shepherds were seeking truth. Uh, these, these wise men particularly were looking. They were researching. They were remembering. They didn't forget the lessons they learned. And they were looking for truth. And not just uh, intellectually. They put their feet in the dirt and moved to the truth. And so God revealed himself to those who were seeking truth. Third, God moved history to make sure that the right global leaders were at the right place at the right time to make sure his word was fulfilled. I cannot get over that. Mm -hmm. Um, and fourth and finally, Christmas is a glorious celebration of the sovereign grace of God to save his people from all nations by his work alone. The fact that he called some wise men out of modern day Iran, (laughs) uh, who spoke a language they still speak today and, 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 uh, Varsi and Dari, um, and in that part of the world, they still speak that language, that ancient language. And they um, they came uh, and they took that message back, and and untold numbers who believed the good news that was available to them because of their witness. God, we know this from the beginning of Genesis. We know this from all through the text. God's heartbeat for the nation and the sovereign grace of God. To make sure that this glorious celebration is revealed to to anyone, anybody, everywhere, um, gives me motivation to stay after the task of the gospel among the nations. So those are my wow. takeaways.
2: Man, those are good. Um, number one for me, the Christmas story presents to us the gospel, and the gospel demands a response—that of worship. Now uh, we see this from the beginning with the angels to the shepherds to Mary herself, who gave birth to Jesus. To the wise men and beyond, it's not simply a time to simply a time to put Jesus first before presents or holiday traditions. It's a reminder to worship Jesus above all else. Mm. Uh, number two, obedience leads us to an unbelievable encounter with Jesus, which will in turn lead us to telling others. Uh, the shepherds believed the angels, acted immediately in obedience, and then they were blown away by the awe and majesty of the birth of the King, mm. and they were moved to go tell everyone. Likewise, the wise men believed and obeyed, and it led to a special encounter that ended with them worshiping the king. And I can't help but think, man, how many times has the Lord spoken to me and, and I chosen not to obey? And maybe I missed out on an encounter with him mm. that would lead me to worship and to telling others. Mm. And so, just a reminder to when he speaks, obey, because there is fruit of that obedience.
1: Yeah. He who hears these words of mine and does them. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Hear and obey. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number three, these characters remind us that Jesus came to save us all and has a plan for all of us from the least of these like dirty downcast shepherds all the way to the wealthiest and wisest of us all. It's also a reminder that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Hmm. Number four, just as the shepherds have to leave their comforts to attend to their sheep in the sheep's environment, and just as Jesus did the same to come and live among us, we too must be willing to meet people where they are, live among them, smell like them, protect them, and be equal to them in order to be Jesus to them. Man, that's just a a reminder for myself. Like, Mm. Gospel doesn't happen always in our own kitchens, in our safe places. No.
1: The gospel doesn't happen in a classroom. The gospel happens among people who live life together, um, who believe the same things and don't believe the same things so that those who don't believe the right thing can believe the right thing.
2: That's the reason we end every service on Sunday mornings, Three Rivers, you are sent. Yes. It's a reminder to go to live among those in your community, locally and globally, making disciples. Telling the story. Yeah. Amen. Uh, and lastly, uh, and this is more just an encouragement to those who are listening, but these parts of the story lend an important reminder this Christmas and something that to remember every day. The light shines brightest in the darkness and always points the way to Jesus to remind us that we're never alone, never forsaken, never forgotten, and never without a way home to him. So my encouragement to all of you today is no matter how bad things get, no matter how dark it is around you, the smallest bit of light can be seen. and If you follow it, you will find him. And there's access to him through Jesus. There's access. So come and worship. Amen.
1: Chris, that's awesome. It's been a pleasure doing Christmas stuff with you this holiday season. Thank you, brother. Absolutely,
2: man. It's been my joy. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to everybody. Absolutely.
1: You guys have a fantastic Christmas. You guys enjoy these days, and uh, we look forward to seeing you guys on the flip side of the new year. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and we will see you next time in 2023. Grace and peace to you. Have a great rest of your day. Out.